You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know the suspense of Thursday? It's the kickoff of the NFL week. Every single week we get excited. This week, I've got, a, I've got just a suggestion for you. Any of your friends that tell you to make it a drinking game every time they talk about the Super Bowl 28-3, to 3, don't do it. You're going to die. It's Spain and Fitz <laughs> on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. <laughs> That's right. Drink lots of water. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And the Straight Talk is what we'll get straight to, straight to brought to you by Straight Talk wireless and that comes in the form of tonight the Patriots taking on the Falcons and I joke but we know this and I've made the joke to you Sarah about uh, not even the joke just the reality the number of times I've had to rewatch the tuck rule like every time certain teams (laughs) play you know that moments are going to be relived so all day social media has just been a nightmare for Falcons fans now I'm not sure anybody in Atlanta really cares but at the end of the day 28 to 3 is on everybody's mind because Patriots Falcons it's a Super Bowl rematch it's all of those things but for right now for this season it's really a story of a Falcons team that's been wildly inconsistent that has played themselves out of most playoff conversation but is still on the edge of being able to make a move if they can put things together taking on a Patriots team that is hot and needs this win to keep pace in the AFC yeah I mean I think a lot of the conversation all day and rightfully so has been about just how good the Pats could be because this latest run has had people seeing them in a wholly different light than even a couple games into the season but on the Falcons side there is an element of drama that always remains because of the QB they're throwing out there and Bart Scott talked about that today on Barton Hahn. You can never count Matty Ice out. You never know when Matty Ice is going to go former, you know, time, hot tub time machine, turn the clock back, and turn into that MVP quarterback that he used to be. He shows flashes of that. This is a team that's four and five, but they lost some tough games. They should be better than what they their record are too. But you know, we'll see if Mac Jones can come in a hostile environment. The dome gets loud. Let's see if he can take that show on the road. Yeah, I mean, it's the statistics aren't that different, right? We're, we're hyped about Mac Jones because he's a rookie quarterback who's well outplaying expectations so early on. But, you know, Matt Ryan has two more touchdowns, one more interception, um, you know, kind of similar, not too far off in terms of total yards, passing yards. So, um, you know, this is not a gimme, even though I don't think the Falcons are a great team. What's frustrating about them is that they show these spurts where, you, where you're like, oh, they're in there. They're fighting. They've got a shot. And then they, you know, lose to teams that they should win well and, and if you if you look at the the way their season has gone yeah it, it there's been some blowouts no doubt but then you also look at a three-point win against the Giants a four-point loss to the Washington football team a one possession win over the Jets and the Dolphins like so many of these games have been very close even the Saints game that they seem to sort of give away and then found a way to win at the end. So a week ago, everybody was looking at the Falcons saying, hey, is it possible that maybe, you know, Atlanta has turned around everything and then all of a sudden they get shellacked by the Cowboys 43-3. And we're like, nope, nope, nope. Uh, They are exactly who we thought they were. Mm So you're right. Like, I do think it's interesting that Matt Ryan – Uh, I came into this season with expectations for Matt Ryan and for Kyle Pitts and for a Falcons coaching staff that I believe with Arthur Smith uh, I I thought would be better than they have been so far. I thought the Falcons would be more competitive. But on the other side of it, I frankly didn't know what to expect from Mac Jones. And what we've gotten is a quarterback that in part is playing better than people thought and is in part 
I think, being viewed through the prism of the way the rest of the rookie quarterbacks are playing, which is not particularly well. So we've fallen in love with exactly where Mac Jones seems to be taking this Patriots team, and I understand it, Sarah, but I also think that maybe we're we're falling victim a little bit to the hype machine when it comes to the expectations that are around the, the, the Patriots overall right now. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, the storyline is set up so perfectly for us to imagine that Mac Jones is the second coming of Tom Brady. This will be just the beginning of another dynastic run for Bill Belichick and a quarterback who's a traditional pocket passer, smarter than everybody else and doesn't need to be more athletic than everybody else. I mean, Mac Jones outperforming Tom Brady at this point in his career, which most people think is the case, the the Patriots as a team, I mean, the offseason Handling by Belichick is huge here because what they needed was a really solid defense so that everything wouldn't be on the shoulders of a young quarterback so that they wouldn't be chasing late in games, passing the ball, forcing him into situations in which he wasn't comfortable. And that's what they have, this incredible defense that allows them to sit back and let the offense do the work in a way that's comfortable for for a, a rookie quarterback. And I mean, Mina Kimes was talking about it today. All the pieces that they went out and got have made all of the different parts of this Patriots team so dependable and reliable that that's how Mac Jones is able to slide into a situation that's just meant for success. Here's what she said today on Around the Horn. I expect the Patriots to win this one because they're dominant in the trenches. It's why they've been winning lately, Tony. Uh, they've shuffled the offensive line a bit. Now it looks like one of the best pass-protecting groups and run-blocking in football. And then on the other side of the ball, this front seven is able to get for, uh, pressure without blitzing, which is a formula for success in the NFL right now. The Patriots, I believe, have the highest floor of any team in the AFC, a conference that, as you guys know, has been totally bonkers. Like all of the supposed contenders have been losing weird games, the Bills to the Jaguars, Miami, as you said, or pardon me, the Ravens to Miami. I don't think that's going to happen to the Patriots. Like amidst all of this chaos, New England is a locus of normalcy. Do they have the highest ceiling? No, but I believe that they're the most reliable of the AFC contenders. By the way, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You you just said dependable and trustworthy, and it's funny because uh, I, I'll give this little secret away, right? Like I'm I'm on the show that reacts to Man in the Arena, the new ESPN Plus show about Tom Brady, and each year is a different look at a Super Bowl season. And in, I believe it's episode two, they were talking about coming off of a year that was regrettable, much like this year. And Tom Brady said the thing that this organization always does so incredibly well is they always knew how to find players that were dependable and were trustworthy. Those were his words. And it really hit me. I wrote it down as I was watching the episode because he didn't say fastest, strongest, best. He said dependable and trustworthy. And the number of times already through a few episodes, I've seen the coaching staff come in and say, if I can't trust you to make the right decision on the field when we're playing the game I can't play you and you start talking about who this Patriots team is it's very reminiscent of that in the sense mm-hmm. that it is a very trustworthy group of people that, that all come in and as overheard as it is now do your job I think it's important though that the Patriots to that point do their job tonight because they have the Falcons and then after that they have a real prove it gauntlet they'll play the Titans then the Bills the Colts and the Bills again so the next four games will really de- decide their uh, playoff fate this is the easiest game they're going to have from now until Christmas. So I I think it puts a little extra pressure on coming out and doing your job and executing against a team you're better than. Well, they have now, I believe over the last four games, they're winning by an average of 25 points a game. Now that that's some some of the clunkers in there. When you beat the Jets 54 to 13, 
and you handle the Browns 45 to 7, that's going to help with those margins. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that unfortunately for everybody in that division and everybody who wanted to take a victory lap around Belichick after Brady won with the Bucks, um, looks to be a, a serious contender. And to Mina's point, absolutely their ceiling is not as high. But I am less likely to, to see a Bill Belichick-led team make disastrous mistakes and get blown out than I am another team that's undisciplined or that doesn't have that dis- that dependability that you mentioned. And, and that's why I think her take is a really smart one. I, I, I can absolutely see this team beating out teams that have much more explosive players, much more star talent on it, because they just do things right. Well, and it was only a few days ago that I was convinced that the 49ers would get shellacked by the Rams. And right, we right, all right. Saw we literally went, know nothing. We, I've been saying that for weeks. <laughs> we understand that this is the strangest season I can remember in a long time. So that makes dependability even more important. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. We'll keep the NFL talk coming because sit him, play him. The quarterback question an NFL team is facing with their season while it slips away. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So there's a difficult conversation happening right now uh, across really the landscape for so many NFL teams, but particularly in Cleveland, because everybody's trying to figure out what exactly to do with Baker Mayfield. Now, the difficulty here is when you've seen great from a quarterback and then you've seen less than great from a quarterback, it sets up some level of expectation on where he should be and what he should be capable of. And Sarah, it reminds me a little of some of what I feel like I've I've seen myself as a as a Raiders fan, right? Like there are times that Raiders fans can't agree on Derek Carr and everybody wants him to be a certain thing. And, And what happens when you're not right about a quarterback? But there are real conversations that need to be had for each team about handle handling this and what to do with them, especially when Baker might not be 100 percent of himself right now. Yeah, we talked about it. Um, the other day, you know, you could decide that he's not your guy, but first of all, you have him next season. And secondly, what are you doing if it's not him? So the decisions you make now will affect his confidence, will affect his health. And there are those who say, all right, let him go out there and prove it. You know, the guy behind him in case Keenum isn't that different. So if he gets hurt and can't go, then you've got someone to back him up. There are others who say, if this is your guy, or you at least want to make him believe that you care about him being a future option, you need to sit him down and let him get healthy. And that's exactly what Charlie Weiss, who used to be the offensive coordinator for the Patriots, uh, said today talking Baker on KJM. I personally think they should shut him down. That's what I think. I think that they would have a better chance win with a healthy case than an injured Baker. I think Baker's a tough guy, and he's trying. But, you know, it's a ball control team. That's the way their offense is set up. It's not set up to sling it all over the yard. So I think that because that's the case and you need a quarterback that you know, you're not afraid every time he gets hit that that's going to be his last play, I, I think that I would go ahead and get him fixed. Because I think that right now, this team's about ready to be done. You're about ready to stick a fork in this team. You know, Now, they're not done yet because anyone could win at AFC North, but I would go ahead and get him fixed and, and play case. Do you agree with that, Sarah? Because, I mean, I think it's it's tricky – if Case Keenum comes in and plays great, uh, you know, you've created sort of another conversation around a team that just constantly seems to have weird conversations. And now it's a five and five Browns team that, yeah, it hasn't looked good, but they are still in the thick of the playoff hunt. If you believe that Baker it can get you to win, do you have some obligation in your mind to keep him in? Yeah, I- I'm I'm kind of torn on that because on the one hand, 
it's unfair for our criticism to continue to be based on watching a guy that isn't healthy. On the other hand, our criticism is not the most important thing. This is a team that's only one game back in the AFC North of the Ravens who have stumbled. Um, and, and a Steelers team that's not that great, a Bengals team that's not that great. So they are by no means out of it in that division. And if you still have a hope of turning around the rest of the season, you can't just give up on on a guy, but you also can't put him out there, risk it getting worse, and then lose him for the rest of the year. Um, I think so much of that's going to be dependent on an honest response from Baker about how much he can go, how restricted and limited he is, and it needs to be focus on now and what will help us make the decisions of the future are still about now. It's going to be how you play now, and it can't be making decisions looking ahead too much. I think it's a tough one. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz. I think there's another element to all of this conversation, and it's about what you're really rooting for. And I've said this before in the ESPN Radio Sports Beat. I've said this before to several different uh, fan bases that will turn around. Eventually, it feels like what happens is expectation causes some fans to turn on whatever their quarterback situation is. And it's almost always the quarterback. We ignore the fact that, as Field Aids pointed out before the draft from 2000 to 2016, every single first-round quarterback that was selected during that te- time is no longer with their team now, right? So the, the process of drafting a quarterback in the first round is not a surefire thing. But people immediately come in to our point of what are you replacing them with and say, oh, my God, let's get somebody new in. Tony Rizzo on ESPN Cleveland had a passionate rant of what that really means if you're a Cleveland fan and you're rooting against Baker Mayfield in any way. You happy? You happy? Are you Baker haters? Are you guys happy? Baker looks bad. And you want to jump down his throat. I'm a Browns fan. I'm a Browns fan. It's like you're rooting <laughs> against our quarterback. Like you want him to fail. To prove what? What? You were right? Do you realize what happens if this kid isn't the right guy? We're going to suck again. It took you 20 years to find a guy to win 11 games. Now you don't think he can take you the rest of the way? Are you happy? I hope you're all happy. I hope you're happy. I know you're all ready to run him out of town, and that's fine. I don't know if he's the guy or not. I don't, and I'm starting to have real doubts about it, and it hurts, but I just can't believe the, the, I told you, I told you, I told you. Shut up. No one wants to hear I told you. You're not a Browns fan. I mean, his point, though, Sarah, is a valid one. Like, if you're, if you're coming in and you're like, oh, man, I never believed him in the first place. Well, if you're a super fan, then basically – you're telling me that you think your team's going to stink and you're kind of rooting for that just to be right. Like, there's a part of fandom now that has become that that I don't – it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you just lived through the Trubisky era, right, for Cleveland – or for Chicago. How many times do you feel like, at the end of the day, you got to still be rooting for Mitch to go out and do it at the time because that would ultimately be what was best for your team? Yeah, on the one hand, it's like – I, I wonder how many people are actually doing that, right? It's very easy for us to create star, straw men to yell at and, and get angry about. Um, if there are indeed people who would rather be right about their early guesses at Baker than see their team succeed, that's a terrible way to enjoy sports. But at the same time, you know, it it it, it sometimes you'd rather fail fast, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If you're really rooting for it, just to be right, that's stupid. If you just want them to make a decision and you think the decision is is clear now, then then I get it. It's not that you're rooting for it. It's that you want them to move on because you don't think you're going to get anywhere. I just wonder if it's part of that issue I talked about earlier with the Browns where you went from zero wins to expecting to compete and contend for a Super Bowl 
And if you were willing to be comfortable in the middle, then you might not be so angsty about Baker because you you could still have a successful season and work your way towards an eventual contention. I just don't know that there's any patience there. I think it's funny that when you're a fan of a team that just absolutely stinks, all you want to see, especially if your quarterback's terrible, you just want to see potential at the quarterback position. Then you see potential for a year or two, and you're like, no, no, now I want my quarterback to be one of the one of the really good ones. And then you see that for one year, and then you wake up and you're like, oh, now that I've seen him be really good, he better be top five in the NFL. And if they don't continue to have that tr- transcendent sort of moment that takes them all the way up to Aaron Rodgers, so many people get loud about it. And it is it is interesting to me. Maybe because, to your straw man point, maybe because I've lived so much of this, there is, and for all the work I do in college football, there is nothing that will get me more tweets, more tweets of hate than saying something positive about Derek Carr, which is amazing to me because it's Raiders fans that are coming at me saying he's not the answer. And it's like, man, I just don't understand what we all want at the quarterback position or what we all think is realistic at the quarterback position. So I felt that rant from Rizzo. By the way, you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. Uh, Sarah, you're, you're back in the, the hope stage, right? Because now you got Justin Fields, so everything feels really good. Like, you're back in that we're seeing good quarterback play. You've gone back to step one where everything's a positive. I'm not going to say everything feels good. First of all, Matt Nagy's giving lectures on how, you know, f- kids are watching football and taunting is really bad. Uh, and as Bill Barwell pointed out, nothing has been worse for kids over the last decade than watching the Bears offense. Uh, so, no, our team is bad. I don't expect us to win games. But on the just quarterback front, yes, what I'm seeing from Justin Fields, especially that late drive against the Steelers, um, his accuracy, his athleticism, all of that points to what could be a very fun stretch of years ahead of us. And I'm hoping it's not an aberration because we need it. We deserve it. It's been an entire franchise history without it. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm certainly extremely hopeful about the quarterback side of things. The rest we got to figure out. One of the things that I think is amazing about, and this is for all fans, but the same football, the same Cleveland fans right now that are all over Baker stinks are the same fans that when Baker had a good year were all over ESPN analysts for not giving mm-hmm. him enough love and not giving him enough attention. That's the glory of fandom, y'all. Speaking of the glory of fandom, we'll head to Cleveland to get more perspective on the Browns and Baker Mayfield. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and as always hanging out on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We were just talking about Baker Mayfield, big decisions on the horizon for the Browns, and the angst of knowing that you've got a guy, probably not the guy, but what's your answer if you decide to move on? And what are the decisions that they're making now about putting him out there healthy or unhealthy, and, and, and what effect might they have on that decision and the choices that they have next year and to follow? We're going to get some insight from someone who's close to it ESPN Cleveland's Aaron Goldhammer joining us down the Goodyear hotline Aaron we we listened to some sound from uh from Rizzo yelling and screaming about it we listened uh to some sound from Charlie Weiss <laughs> saying the Browns should should shelve him for now uh that Case Keenum healthy is probably better than than Baker right now what's your take on that part first just right now the decision making around Baker how how wise or careful should they be about sending him out there with the injuries he's got well, guys, to me, this is really odd um, because Case Keenum has already won a game for the Browns this year. And it's not like this is, you know, some horrible backup quarterback that gives you no chance to win. Keenum, a couple of years ago, took a team to the NFC championship game. 
And Baker doesn't have just one injury or two injuries. He has three injuries. He has a broken arm, he has a messed up knee, and he has a screwed up foot. The other thing is, it's not like Baker's some MVP. Like, stop acting like he's Michael Jeffrey Jordan here, okay? He's he's Baker Mayfield. He's an above-average quarterback. He played really well in the second half of last year. The Browns are playing the Lions this week, who don't have a win yet, and they really need to win this game. Like, their season isn't over yet. They're only a game and a half out of first place in their division. So if I was in that building, you know, this isn't a competition for who's the toughest and who wants the 30 for 30 documentary about the time they went out. This is a conversation about winning this specific game. And from what I know, I think Case Keenum gives him a much better chance to do that, but they're going to roll Baker out there regardless of what I think. So, you know, impossible to know, but in a copycat league, Aaron, if you think about it, some of this was almost the exact conversation that Pittsburgh was probably having last week when they decided not to play their starting quarterback against the Lions if they didn't need him. You know, there's at least that conspiracy theory. If the if the Steelers had gone in and just destroyed the Lions, would the Browns be looking at this the same? Yeah, I mean, I think they want to – um, you know, play Baker for, for whatever reason. I mean, either they think he gives them the best chance to win, regardless of the opponent, or, you know, they, they are tr- he's trying to prove something to them. They're trying to – one of the issues with the Browns this year, guys, is that there are a lot of agendas going on. A lot of guys trying to get contracts, and Miles Garrett's trying to set the sack record, and – I think one thing at this point in the season that would behoove them is if everybody put their own personal agenda aside, extension talks and all of that, and they just really focused on trying to win the next game, not who's getting the most balls thrown to them or the play calls or the structure of the offense. Like They just need to get back to their strengths. They need to beat the Lions, and then they'd go into that game Sunday night, a week from Sunday in Baltimore, um, knowing that really they're playing with a potential division at stake. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Aaron Goldhammer about the drama surrounding Cleveland. And I'm curious how all the conversation getting more and more focused on Baker and if he's the guy. And I know they've been here before, but this feels a little different with next year's option on the horizon and, you know, potential contract conversations. How do you think it's affecting the team understanding that they are still only a game and a half out despite some of these losses and recent conversations feeling like the death knell for the season. Yeah, I think the Cleveland fans, you know, have gotten too caught up in, am I a Baker fan or am I a Browns fan? Right. And ultimately the fans just want to see the team win. Uh, and so because Baker won and won a playoff game in Pittsburgh last year, Everybody, all the fans were on board with giving him a giant contract extension. But here to me is where this thing stands. You don't ditch a quarterback until you have a better one. You know, you you don't get rid of Baker Mayfield with the prospect of, you know, I don't know. The Lions, I think, are going to start Tim Boyle this week. (laughs) You do that, you give yourself absolutely no chance. So if they could upgrade to Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or a guy they really love in the draft yes do that that's what's best for the football team but you know if you're not guaranteeing that you're going to get an improvement over baker maybe there is a reasonable extension that the two sides could come to that would allow him to be a brown without ruining the rest of the team and the salary cap and to me that might be what makes the most sense 
Um, I haven't gotten all caught up in the commercials and the hype and the us against the world and all that. I just, I'd like to see what's best for the Browns. And frankly, I'm not sure that signing Baker Mayfield to a $40 million contract right now, but the way he's playing, the injuries affect a lot of that. You know, I mean, he's the most banged up player in the league that's still playing. And I haven't gotten a clear answer about why he's still running out there. So you mentioned earlier, everybody's got their own agenda. How much of this is on Kevin Stefanski to write the ship and get everybody to play together? I think Kevin Stefanski is a brilliant coach when it comes to scheming up the first 15 plays of the game. Like the Browns go down and score a touchdown on the first drive almost every week. It's like a, it's like a guarantee. Um, but this is his biggest test in terms of, is he a real leader when it comes to the locker room? He had a contingency plan last year for everything, but last year everybody was just focused on football. You couldn't go out. You, you could go home and to the facility, and that's it. And outside of COVID protocols, and I just think there are a lot more distractions. And I don't know whether Kevin Stefanski is a great leader of men, the reigning coach of the year. I think we're going to find that out over the course of the next couple of weeks. What's your opinion? Where do you stand on this? Are, are you – I mean, because I, I keep saying it reminds me of one I would say about Jay Cutler. I know he's not the guy, but who are we getting? Name right. the person. Are we getting him via trade? Are we getting that's, him via draft? Right. Like, what's the answer? And I still had an opinion on it. I wanted to move on, but not until I had a better answer than Cutler. Is that where you're at with Baker? Sarah, I don't think the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. That yeah. is my opinion. Okay, yeah. I think in general in this league, you have to come back in a game if you're going to win the Super Bowl. And Baker in his career, if he falls behind by 14 points and the team has to start chucking it around and they can't use their two great running backs, you know, the, the Browns are just a mess at that point. So I think they have to upgrade the position if they really want to win the biggest of all the prizes, which is that shiny trophy in the shape of the football and I don't think that Baker Mayfield can do that. But, you know, you, you ditched Jay Cutler in Chicago, and you still – then you were Mitchell Trubisky, and then Nick Foles, and now Justin Fields is he the guy. So you don't throw that quarterback away, the guy who led the Bears to the NFC Championship game once. I don't think you ditch that guy until you really feel like you have a better answer. So I think it behooves the Browns to keep their eyes open and look for a better answer, but also understand the value of what they have. I mean, hear me out, Aaron. Like, I, I could make the logic. In a year where the draft doesn't have any great quarterbacks, I don't think, maybe winning some games and drafting a quarterback in the middle of the first round isn't the worst, right? Like, you're not reaching for somebody in the top of the first round. There's nobody worth that equity in the draft. So maybe you sit around and you patriot this thing and you get a good name in the middle of the first round. I'm trying to give you hope. You got you. Really, to really like that guy, though. Like, you got to scout that guy, you got to identify that guy, and you got to really believe in that guy. You know, we, we heard this week, I'll give you this little nugget, that the Browns like Kenny Pickett, who's the quarterback from Pitt. And I said, sounds like the good name for a Browns quarterback. <laughs> Add it to that lady's jersey. Pickett. It might be where it finally is. Right. It all ends. It's right in with what we've had here in Cleveland. So, you know, it's amazing, guys. It feels like a team in a total chaos right now. It feels like a 2-8 and eight team, but they're 5-5. Five and five. Yeah. And if they beat the Lions and the Ravens going into the bye, you know, they're going to be back as one of the darlings of the NFL. The roller coaster of this year, the ups and downs, I've never felt anything quite like it. I want to ask you quickly before I let you go, because I mentioned this to Izzy Gutierrez. I think it was two seasons ago. Uh, was it two seasons ago that they started to actually win some games? Or was it three? 
It's two, right? Yeah, three, Just two. three years ago, 2018, Baker got hot in the second half with Greg Williams and that right. Freddie Kitchens character. So yeah. it was the season after that when the expectations were really high. And I and, and they, they had won a couple. And as he said, I wouldn't be surprised if this team won 10 or 11. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not do that to Browns fans. They were this far removed from a refrigerator opening with free beers for one win. We can't jump all the way to if it's not 10 or 11, it's a failure. But I feel like that's kind of what's happened, right? You have not been allowed to enjoy mediocrity, which is what most of the NFL is. Now it's we're either winning the Super Bowl or nothing. Yeah, I mean, the floor, the ceiling was raised, but so was the floor. And rightfully so. They have, this is a team with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the best offensive line in football, Jarvis Landry catching the passes, and Miles Garrett, who might set the sack record this year, rushing the quarterback, and Denzel Ward. They are loaded at just about every level of the team. Um, They should be better than 5-5, and but their quarterback has stunk, and he's been hurt, and they've had other injuries, and they've been awful in the fourth quarter. And so yeah. all those close games, the Charger game that they could have won and the Chief game that they could have won, you know, those come back to bite you now, and that's where they have to find a way to turn the corner here. Awesome stuff, Aaron. We appreciate the insight. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, guys. Aaron Goldhammer, ESPN Cleveland, with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance is proud to support veterans with its annual Keys to Progress Vehicle Giveaway Program, now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Uh, I almost said progress, uh, like I was from, what is that, Britain? Coming up, lots of news to get to, including a unanimous MVP selection. We're doing quickies next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is Spain and Fitz. I got a hot take. I got a hot take. If the Bucks go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, I will get both of my nipples pinched. Mm. That's the smartest thing you've ever said. I am rock hard and ready to go. Wham! (laughs) Our listener, Aesop. Yeah, we we had a lot of people yesterday chiming in with uh, things that we could do for the uh, weekend picks and uh, our listener, Angry Bears fan dad man, is determined to get those nipples pierced somehow. He just keeps coming back around with new and different ways that you end up with your nipples pierced. These and, nips you know, are still champs, they're still, they're undefeated. Still, I got undefeated safe. nipples, y'all. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, <laughs> ESPN App, C- Sirius XM Channel 80. We're brought to you by Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear more driven speaking of we did get a good suggestion after the show last night we'll we'll tell you a little later in the show what we're going to do as the uh the uh, stakes for our weekend picks but now we got to get through some news of the day and we got to do it quickly which means quickies with spain and fits we get in and out of topics fast that's right we got lots to get to and the big news of the day came from the wnba announcing that they are changing the playoff format uh, a lot of people speculating that perhaps the Chicago Sky scared them into it. Uh, they just, uh, <laughs> the way that they dominated this year and worked their way through that single elimination had them uh, had them wondering if they should change things up. So in the past, eight teams, regardless of conference, would qualify for the playoffs. The top two would get double buys to the third round slash the semis. And then the next two would get a buy to the second round. The remaining four teams competed in single elimination games 
uh, to advance. And then it was still single elimination in the second round. And then finally, best of three in the semis, best of five in the WNBA finals. They reseeded after each, the highest seed, you know, always facing off against the lowest still in competition. So some of it people liked, other things people didn't. And one of the biggest ones was not having single elimination games in the playoffs. It's a pretty short season fit, but regardless of that, having three rounds of series play with a 3-5-5 format is much better, and that's what it's going to be now. So the eight teams with the highest winning percentage, regardless of conference, still in, but all of them will participate in first-round bracket-style play with uh, the four best-of-three series. And when you get to the championship, you get to five. I like this a lot better. I was going to ask how you felt about it, honestly, Sarah, because, you know, obviously the Sky were a big part of the conversation, and there is drama with the the shorter series. But I I will say I think that – Part of the joy of a playoff series in general is watching the back and forth, mm-hmm. and I want as much of that when I get good teams as possible. Yeah, like seeing how they basically agitate each other through the process, not even just the play- the coaches but also the players. I think that's one of the uh, one of the best parts about it. So it also, to me, speaks to the uh, the league's ability to constantly analyze their process and also the league's growing popularity that they're looking at it and saying we need more playoff basketball. I think that uh, that's all. Those are all big wins. I agree, and I think that's going to come into play with expansion as well. I think there's a number of changes that are going to be coming because of the increased popularity. Um, But in this case, it's too fluky to me to have it be one game in a game like basketball. Uh, There's too many runs. There's too many injury issues, foul issues. It's different than something like soccer or football where you can't back-to-back it. So I'm here for the change. All right, next story. Quickies. Uh, We were going to talk about this earlier. We ran out of time. Antonio Brown back in the news, uh, allegedly acquiring a fake COVID-19 vaccination card. This coming from his former chef. The number of problems that Antonio Brown seemingly could have kept secret if he would just pay his bills is 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 like a CVS receipt long. I mean, every single time something comes out, it's usually because he has failed to pay someone on what he's owed them. And this time, the chef, a former chef of his, claimed that they are in a fight over uh, him being failed to, to pay $10,000 owed to him, and that's what made him decide to go public with this story. Said that the uh, uh, that Brown's girlfriend reached out over the summer to get a fake card, saying he had gotten the Johnson & Johnson shot, uh, offered $500 for that fake card, um, and then Ruiz, the chef, said he was unable to find it, but that the wide receiver a few weeks later showed him ones that he had said he purchased, was unwilling to get the vaccine because of what he thought might be possible side effects. Now, the the, the the Bucks have released a statement. The statement essentially just says, we didn't think there was anything wrong with it. We checked everybody's. So we're we're not in trouble here. And that leaves the NFL to make a big decision here. Do they blame the Bucks for not properly vetting the card or somehow knowing that the card was fake if it indeed was? Do they blame Antonio Brown himself? It is a federal crime to fake a vaccination card. Uh, this is pretty complicated. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious how the NFL didn't anticipate this possibility. Like, yeah. at some point, the NFL should have had a process, not just where the teams vet it, but where they double-check these things. Like, there's got to be a way to go in and make sure, you know, call some people and make sure that everything's on the up-and-up with every vaccination card. It would seem like that would be a simple step that they would have put in procedurally. Also, like, texting at this point, y'all, is a lot like the mafia used right. to be back in the day. Like, <laughs> you knew if you made a deal with the mafia, eventually it was going to bite you in the you-know-what, like, 
at this point, if you're texting somebody or your girlfriend's texting somebody or your best friend's texting somebody saying, hey, can you get me a free, a, a, a fake COVID card? You got to expect at some point that is going to come back to haunt you. Like, I don't understand why people don't realize that the minute that's in the like, like the universe, that's going yeah. to be in the universe forever. Yeah, completely agree. It's just a very strange thing. Uh, in the NHL, Evander Kane of the Sharks was suspended 21 games for a fake vaccine card. I don't know if that was, you know, federally prosecuted. I don't know if it's just that you can't use it for stuff like travel versus stuff like, you know, interactions with your team. But certainly something added to the list for the NFL to deal with when it comes to Antonio Brown. All right, next story. Quickies. Uh, we did Cy Young's yesterday. MVPs today in the baseball world. Bryce Harper capturing his second career MVP. Uh, he edged out Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. in the National League. And I heard Greeny saying the other day, if you asked a whole bunch of people in in the baseball world, you know, not diehards, if they knew whether Bryce Harper was an MVP candidate, most people would have said maybe no, and that's a problem for the sport. And I would agree with that, right? Like, it was a relatively quiet campaign for him, even though obviously numbers-wise and all season, it, you, you felt like he was in it. It just... He wasn't talked about that way, and a lot of casuals probably wouldn't have realized that he was going to get the award. Yeah, I, I, I can see that, and I can agree with that, but I do think that there's such brand recognition and brand power for Bryce Harper as mm-hmm. an overall name that it resonates. Like The, the funny thing is, uh, had somebody with less of that brand power won, had a Brandon Crawford won, I don't know that we would even talk about it, not that he was you know necessarily in that conversation, but uh, it has to be some bit of a household name. This is where I also think that Major League Baseball is just a little handcuffed by what time of year it is. There are so many, like I, yeah, I was a lot watching, of sports stories right now. I, I was watching one of our peers the other night do raps on, like he was giving us updates during halftime of, of basketball, college basketball and college football on the same desk at the same time. There are yeah. so many sporting it's, events. Going it's on, a lot. So. It's a lot. Uh, yeah. Harper, by the way, the fourth player since 2000 twin multiple MVPs before turning 30. Pretty impressive. Shohei Otani unanimously crowned, MVP of the AL. This one, not very surprising. There were some folks who thought um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might sneak up and and take it. He took 29 of the 32nd place votes, Hmm. the remaining vote going to Salvador Perez of the Royals. Um, But this was unanimous. This was expected for Shohei, and rightfully so. Lots of different players from around the league, former and current, offering up congratulations to someone who just did something we'd never seen before. Very deserved there and going to continue to change the game. So exciting news for Showtime. It's Spain and Fitz coming up. One of Aaron Rodgers' favorite targets is going to join us next. What does he think about Rodgers' future? What did he make of the vaccination lie? All that stuff coming up next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by Packers receiver Alan Lazard. Thank you so much for the time, man. Congratulations on what's been so far a really great season for the Packers. Power rankings are out all over the place, and everybody has Green Bay at or near the top of the list. What's made this team so good this year? You know, also I think it's just the culture that that we've um, really I've been able to kind of join a part of the um, past three years. But, you know, I think it goes back a a while, you know, to early 2010s, um, really when Aaron first got here, um, and just the era, you know, that far had just the the expectations, um, you know, the standard of, of what it is to be a part of this organization and the high expectations that we hold each other to each and every week. 
Alan, nice to have you back on the show. I'm going to start out by clearing the air that you did retweet somebody changing the Chicago Bears Wikipedia to say that Aaron Rodgers owned the yeah. team. I just, I want to, I listen, I want to have a nice chat with you, but I want to, I want to just make sure that we clear the air on this. I am a diehard Chicago Bears fan. Aaron Rodgers is a spectacular quarterback who has had a lot of success against us. We actually do have an owner, though, in Chicago. Unlike your team, you can't just buy a piece of paper and then claim to be the owner. So, unfortunately, that Wikipedia needed to be updated. Um, which leads me to this question. A.J. Dillon, uh, on, on your squad there, bought some stock in the team when they just did the, uh, the rare thing of releasing some more quote-unquote ownership options. And now he calls himself self-employed because he is both an owner of the team and a player on it. Are, are you doing the same are you going to go out and get some um no i i unfortunately wasn't able to um buy some stock yesterday at all you know aj aj was a high draft pick so he's got a little bit extra money just laying around to be able to <laughs> re, reinvest back into himself so to speak but um yeah i think you know honestly just the whole fan ownership um of the packers organization not having a uh a, a one person owner or family owner and I think that's what makes the Packers so special and unique. And really, you know, I think that's what makes this place even better. We're talking to Packers receiver Alan Lazard. And it is different. Like, everything hits different in Green Bay. There's no doubt, uh, obviously, with the ownership, but also with how dang cold it is there. But you also played, like, at Iowa State. <laughs> at some point in your life, are you going to play somewhere warm, Alan? Like, it just feels like you should just want to hit Miami at least for, like, half a season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely want to be opposed to warmer weather at all. But, you know, I think – I always I like to live by the saying, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, I've had a lot of success um, in my times playing in Iowa, obviously, and, and here as well. Now, obviously, this year, on a more serious note, your your targets are up this year. You're getting a much bigger portion of the offense. Uh, what's been the key for you in developing with Rodgers? Uh, you know, just the, the work, you know, the practice that we go um, each and every day, just working on um, the timing, you know, working on my individual routes, making sure – um, I'm able to be as consistent as possible. So that way, you know, Aaron is comfortable enough to be able to take a five-step drop and not even have to look and know know where I will be um, given the situation, the coverage, the leverage of the corner, um, whatever it may be, um, for him to have that trust, to be able to just put the ball in the right spot and knowing that I'll go get it. Ellen Lazard with us, Packers wide receiver. You and Aaron Rodgers both missed some time due to COVID. And I wondered if that positive test, having to miss a game, having, you know, the fines and et cetera that were associated with it, did that make you rethink at all your decision to be unvaxxed, knowing that down the road in the season it could affect your availability again? Um, no. You know, I think, you know, I'm pretty set on my decision and everything. And, um, you know, obviously it was a very unfortunate situation that that's kind of laid out the past three, four weeks of, you know, one him getting sick, me um, getting ruled out due to close contact, even though I was testing negative every single day. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough time that we're in. You know, I think everyone understands that no matter what side you're on of this whole thing. And, you know, I think it's uh, just an uh, um, unfortunate situation. And, but, you know, I think our, our, our team goals are obviously set on Los Angeles and, and hosting that Lombardi trophy at the end of the year. So, um, you know, I, I know I got the support as well. Aaron um, has the support from our team. Um, our teammates, players, organization, um, to be able to go out there and to execute that. How much conversation, if any, is there in the locker room for you guys as you've made that personal decision to figure out what's best for you? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of conversation throughout the summer and everything um, with there being a lot more unknown. Um, you know, I think at this point in the season, those conversations really don't happen. You know, um, everybody knows where everybody is 
as far as that their stance and beliefs on that. And, um, you know, I think that's what makes a, a locker room so special and, you know, really football locker rooms. You know, you get people from all walks of life all over the United States, different backgrounds, different beliefs. And, you know, you have to come together and you have to put those put those notions behind you. And, you know, you have to be able to go out there and sacrifice um, yourself for the betterment of your teammates um, or the team overall. So I think that's just what really makes this this uh, sport so special. And I think football so great is that, you know, it takes 11 guys working together as one to be able to have a successful play. And um, going into that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, you know, what your, what happened the previous play, what college you went to, what beliefs you have. Um, you know, I think the only thing that matters when we're out there is that you're giving your best effort. And, you know, I think we really um, replicate that consistently throughout our entire organization. And Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, you say organization like you're Canadian, which is something I do as well, but that's from me <laughs> hanging around hockey players too much. I'm not sure what your excuse is. Green Bay's very close to Canada. I think that must be it. Uh, that That's where that comes in. Um, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and the sort of emotion around um, him getting back out there, winning a game. He said he got misty walking off the field. A lot of us bloviating gas bags in the media were trying to read that moment. Does it mean he's staying? Does it mean he's going? Are you in the locker room? Are you guys chatting about it? Are you personally trying to read the tea leaves on Aaron to see what his decision might be? Honestly, I think everybody in the locker room is just seriously just focused on this season. You know, I don't think anyone um, is too worried about what's to come after the season. You know, because if you do that, then we're going to end up just wasting this season and not be able to finish it the way that we want to. So um, for him, you know, I can't speak for where he is, obviously, in, in this whole process and everything. But I can speak as far as, you know, what I know and what the team feels um, as far as, you know, him and everything. And, and we obviously love him. Who wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers to be a part of your team, especially being a wide receiver? Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, what next year holds, like, I don't know. I don't even know what Sunday holds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> coming up this weekend and everything. So, yeah, I don't think we put too much thought or spend too much time, you know, thinking about hypothetical situations like that. All right, Alan, before we let you go, I always like finding out who tra- who guys trash talk. Like you said earlier, you went to Iowa State. So, like, when Iowa State plays yeah. on Saturdays, who who are you going after, uh, depending on the outcome of the game? Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Jerry Montgomery and um, um, Heflin. You know, th- those two guys both went to Iowa, played some time there. So, you know, the Iowa week early in the season um, definitely had a lot of uh, animosity towards each other um, throughout that week. And, you know, it's all, it's all um, fun and games, and obviously. But, um, yeah, there's a few other guys throughout the team and throughout the league that, you know, I've played against, you know, Roswell Douglas, you know, just to kind of um, somewhat be a part of his story. You know, I played against him versus, um, when he was back in West Virginia when I was at Iowa State my, like, first two, three years. And so – be able to have him part of the team now and kind of just be able to make that connection full circle. Um, I think it's so cool, obviously, just the success that he's had throughout his career, especially this season, um, for what he's done for this team has, has been huge. So, yeah, I mean, trash talking, um, the competitiveness, I think that, you know, that's a great part of the game that, that every player really enjoys and loves, and it's what brings the best out of us. So, you know, we're, we're always inviting competition and um, to get better every single day. Well, we appreciate your time, man. Congrats on the season so far. Can't wait to see how it ends up for you guys. Uh, I'll yeah, try and see you in a month, Alan. I mean, yep, yep. I, see you in a month. We're we're <laughs> we're you know we're wait, we're working out on our on our schemes over here. We're weightlifting. Our rookie quarterbacks getting some yeah. more reps in. You know, we're gonna be ready to go. 
I do We're going to be a, yeah, maybe 500 by then. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate your time. Hopefully, Thanks for hanging that. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Get the owner on it. <laughs> Take care. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. The 90s R&B is on point tonight. Sarah Spain, Chase and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Obviously, it's Thursday. That means Thursday night football is almost underway. I can feel the palpable excitement, Sarah. I turned on the broadcast earlier and just long enough with the sound on it to hear them reference 28 to 3 three times. If it was a drinking game, you'd already be three drinks in. Think about that. That's it. Tell me it's going to be a long night for Falcons <laughs> fans. Uh, but ultimately, we do expect uh, this to be a, a big game for the Patriots. We've talked about that a lot over the course of the night. I fully expect Mac Jones to be in the zone. Get in the zone. Uh, brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. We'll see if Matt Ryan, you know, I have to play him in one of my fantasy leagues tonight. So if he could turn out to be uh, good, that would be at least for me, it would be very beneficial. If he could have a big night. But Thursday night football never seems to give us that. In, in that conversation, though, Sunday, there are some huge games that will have massive implications to the playoffs, to the way that we view certain teams, and frankly, to the way that we talk about certain teams. And, and I'll start there with Chiefs and Cowboys because, frankly, we're trying to say that the Chiefs are fixed. I'm still a believer that the Raiders just went in with the boneheaded game plan and played like you-know-what throughout the course of it. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready to say that the Chiefs are fixed. I think this is going to be really, really interesting because Orlovsky, I heard point out earlier on NFL Live today, that the Cowboys have so many weapons. If you want to stack the box to try and stop them from running the football, you're going to be isolated one-on-one in coverage. That does not favor the Chiefs defense. I think the Cowboys have a real chance to make a statement here. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, I think also, though, it's a really important game for the Cowboys because they have something to prove. This is a team that earned a lot of the expectation and excitement because of early victories, and I just, I don't know if we've recently seen them take it to anybody worth much, right? Now, they beat the Patriots in overtime. That's a big win right there. The Vikings aren't that good. The Falcons aren't that good. The Broncos beat them a couple games ago. They whooped up on a bad Giants team. They beat the Panthers. They beat the Eagles. Like, I want to see some definitive good wins against good teams to add to that very close against the Bucks at the beginning of the season, to add to that, you know, barely eking past um, uh, the, the win that they had a couple weeks ago. Um, so to me, you know, that that's why it's important is you gotta you gotta prove that the Patriots game and the keeping it close with the Bucks were not aberrations, and that the rest of those wins aren't just you feasting on bad teams. Well, and let's not bury the lead. I've got Dak in another one of my fantasy leagues. Yeah, yeah, so if yeah. You that's have a big, I mean, that's really what what this comes down to, Dak. If you could go ahead and do that, has nothing to do with how I feel about the Chargers or the Chiefs, I should say, uh, in general, right? Like, I mean, obviously, my fandom of the Raiders has nothing to do with that. Speaking of AFC West teams, though, the Chargers are in action against the Steelers team that I've been saying all year isn't any good, but has, for the most part, found a way to win. And I shouldn't say they're not any good. Their defense is very good, and we all know that T.J. Watt is a delight to watch. We know that the Steelers can run the football. What I think is interesting is last week with Mason Rudolph, they actually ran the football a little better. They were able to put themselves in better formations for Najee Harris to get the ball and see the lanes running. So I wonder, even if Big Ben is Big Ben, will we see them do more under center? Because it seemed to work for Najee a lot in that game yeah I, I there's there's a lot at stake here in this game and there's a lot of question marks about who's going to be available COVID is hitting both of these teams super hard and as much as you and I agree with you that the Steelers are not a great team um 
and that the Chargers, uh, again, early on in the season, they were so hot, and now it's a real question mark of who they actually are. And and again, with the with the COVID issues, that's going to be um, a big decider probably in how this game goes. But the stat that I saw today that was so fascinating to me, Fitz, the, both of these teams would see their playoff odds swing by over 25% in this Woo! game. So this is the most important game of the week when it comes to the impact on the AFC playoffs, more so than any other matchup because both of them have a 25% plus swing at stake here in this one. And, you know, as we get closer and closer to Sunday and keep an eye on who's available, Big Ben is still not in practice, not available because of COVID. And I think it's at least five or six players on each team currently still in that protocol. What's amazing to me is I'll go back to the thing that now I get to say every week and everybody will hate it. It's a reminder that a tie is better than a loss because let's acknowledge that the Chargers and the Steelers find themselves both in the wild card race and how different it feels to be 5-3-1, and one, which is a better winning percentage than 5-4. and four. So for the Steelers, just by getting a tie in that in a packed AFC where there's a bunch of five and four teams, including my beloved Raiders, the Steelers have the edge over all of them because of a tie with the Lions. How disgusting does that feel when I actually say it out loud? Like, I don't even feel good bringing that into the universe. But and this is lose-lose for me because I don't like either team. Uh, also, all eyes going to be on Colts and Bills. I think that there's a lot here for both teams, frankly, because the Bills, the, the momentum has fallen away for Buffalo, and we all know that, right? But at some point, I've, I keep looking at the Bills and saying they're too good to be this bad. But that's the same thing that I said about the Colts early on in the season where it took them a minute to figure it out. Now, Jonathan Taylor has been absolutely uh, incredible, but now he faces a, a Bills defense that is absolutely great against the rush, right? So how Jonathan Taylor will be able to perform against a Bills defense that is particularly stout at taking away the rush, I think is going to be one of those rare opportunities in a game like this to not only see this game, but also see strength on strength and how it applies to the rest of the conference for future matchups. Yeah, we'll be looking a lot at the defense and stopping Jonathan Taylor um, tied for the most rushing yards with Derrick Henry. Uh, Derrick Henry obviously hasn't been rushing lately, but uh, you know, he's, he's, um, he's that big decision. That's that, that, that pivot point for the Buffalo defense and, and like you said, they've been really successful stopping the run. Average of just 83.9 rushing yards per game. That's good for third in the league. The offense, sh- shockingly, after what we saw early in the season, is where the real question marks are. We we looked at last week like, okay, I guess they're back on track. Um, but it was it was against the, the Jets. So are they? Uh, that's a, You went from your lowest point total of the season to just laying it on. But, but when it's the Jets sitting over there, I'm not putting much stake in it. So... Um, they've had quite an offense since the start of the season, but those those lulls and those dips when Josh Allen struggles at all is where you start to pin your your attention to see whether this is truly a Super Bowl contending team that can consistently show up against the best or can have explosive moments and then really fall apart. And that's why, as much as obviously that defense is going to matter, um, I'm really focused on seeing what the offense looks like and if they can put together back-to-back weeks. I think focus is such a key word here because you mentioned, the obviously, the blip for the Jags. None of us can forget it, right? It's hard to just get that one out of your mind. But realistically, it's easy in this year's NFL to say every, every team seems to have a wart, right? So, like, that's your mm-hmm. wart. you got to get rid of it. And they did last week. I think that last week was a nice statement for them. An interesting stat on Jonathan Taylor that I'll, I'll be interested to see if it continues is 
Our next-gen stats have told us that Jonathan Taylor is first in the NFL in yards over expected yardage on runs. Hmm. Now, I'm not smart enough to know how they factor that in, but it tells us that they're getting more out of less with Jonathan Taylor. Now that they're going to be playing an incredible run defense like Buffalo has, I wonder if that continues. All eyes will be on that as both teams are trying to take care of business and keep pace with the division rival. If you're the Colts, you don't want to lose any more ground to the Titans. And if you're the Bills, you hear all of the murmurings that are happening that are getting louder and louder about the Patriots eventually winning this division. All right, coming up next, Game Changers returns with a pretty amazing story you don't want to miss from the hockey universe. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Thursday night. Kickoff for Thursday Night Football. Keep an eye on that one for you. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and it's time. It's been a while. It's time for one of our faves, Game Changers, featuring women in male-dominated fields, breaking down some glass ceilings. In the world of men's professional sports, many women are breaking through and making their mark. They're not going to be looking at him sideways. The reason why I take so much objection He is literally running with the entire team. The NBA is actually facing backlash on both sides. Their stories are told here on Spain and Fitz. Time for this edition of Game Changers. We're going to head out to the Goodyear hotline to talk to this Game Changer, Blake Bolden. Who, I mean, the resume is is unbelievable. The first African-American NWHL player, a pro scout for the Kings, an NHL reporter for ESPN, and now a part of the Play It Against Sports and Winmark, the resale company, youth hockey mentorship program. Uh, this is, it sounds really cool. Participants from across the U.S. and Canada <laughs> doing a virtual mentoring program, you know, goal setting, self-motivation, time management, all sorts of stuff uh, for the younger up-and-coming uh, players, which is great. I, I want to get to that, but I want to start by giving people a little bit more of your background because I loved learning that it was really your dad's job that got you into hockey. Yeah, you did your research. I love that. Uh, my my mom was a single mom, and she started dating a police officer, and his side hustle was working for an IHL team called the Cleveland Lumberjacks. And from that relationship, I saw hockey for the first time, and I was immediately hooked. And uh, I remember turning to him and being like, you know what, I want to try it. So we head on over to play it against sports, grab my gear, and I was just tossed on the ice to figure it out. <laughs> but without normal you know we talk so much about representation and how it matters it's not like when you're a little kid you can look out and say there's somebody that looks like me doing this how difficult was it for you to figure out that path when you didn't have any anybody that you could look at that had done it before uh yeah that's a good question and I think you know I always result back to just me having so much fun I wasn't I kind of had tunnel vision when I was learning how to skate because I was like Bambi I wasn't really focused on (laughs) anything other than trying to stay on my two feet or my two skates and um, when I started learning more about the game then I realized okay this is not you know something that a, a normal young black little girl would would play or do and so my parents did a good job at researching um, those those people in the sport for me Jerome McGinley who just got inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame was was my role model when I was a young kid you know Willie O'Ree the first black player to play in the NHL and although there weren't any women at the time um, that I was aware of, Angela James now, who, you know, play for Team Canada, I had no idea about her. And that's why this is also important today. Was there, what was the response you got like from kids at school when you were coming up and doing that? Because I always think back to like, for me as a, a little kid playing the violin, 
I I was playing so much I didn't really understand that not every kid did that and it was weird for me when I started right. to meet other kids and I'm like wait you don't spend eight hours a day with a violin under your chin like <laughs> what what was the response like from the kids as you were growing up? It was interesting for them. I mean, they would kind of raise their eyebrows or cock their head and be like, ice hockey, like, why are you playing ice hockey? That's, you know, a white person's sport or you should, they would always assume that I ran track or played basketball. Um, So I just kind of let it roll off my shoulders. It honestly didn't bother me too much because I thought it was cool that I was playing ice hockey because I loved the game and I really didn't care too much about what other people were saying. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz, Game Changers. We're talking to Blake Bolden, professional hockey player, scout for the Kings, reporter for ESPN, and part of this great mentorship program. So you have won a cup in both the CWHL in Canada and the NWHL in North America. What's the biggest difference between those two leagues? Ooh, well, <laughs> one of those leagues uh, I was paid and the other one I wasn't. Um, mm, that's CWHL, important. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get paid and the uh, NWHL was the first league that was actually paying players, which is why I made the switch. Um, but in the CWHL, I was on the team that was in the only was the only U.S. team. So we had a lot of travel. I was working a full-time job, a nine-to-five, and getting on a bus, driving 10, 12, 14 hours. Um, so that was pretty tough. So when I stuck to the NWHL, it was a little bit more regional for me, which which I appreciated. But winning a championship in both of those leagues, I mean, those those are big memories for me that I'll always keep. It's such an inspiring story. I mean, last year you became the first female black pro uh, scout for the Kings and the second ever female pro scout in the NHL. So how did you even get down that path? <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm always a person that kind of just follows her intuition. Um, I wanted to move out to California because I was chasing the sun. I had enough of that Boston winter and the cold, and I was just coming back from a season um, in Switzerland. And so I landed in, in San Diego, California. I went to a Los Angeles Kings game and lo and behold, I'm talking to Luke Robitaille, the president of the Los Angeles Kings organization. And we're just talking hockey. And he was like, Oh, okay. You're a woman who knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. We're just, this is really cool. Have you ever thought about being a scout? And And I said, no, because I genuinely hadn't. And I came in for some interviews. I, you know, had to express my knowledge of the game, which I had a lot because I had playing, I had been playing hockey for 20 plus years. So it was like this, this symbiotic relationship, it matched perfectly. And uh, then all of a sudden I became the first black woman to scout for an NHL franchise. It's so cool. There are some pretty powerful women in the NHL level that we've had on to talk. I just spoke with the CMO, Heidi Browning, last a uh, couple weeks ago at the SBW Summit. Kim Davis, we've had on Game Changers here, who's the senior executive vice president for the NHL. Another woman of color yeah. who's this top position that sort of broke through a ton of barriers and is trying to change a, a lot of what we see at the, at the professional level. You know, those faces can help. Representation is massive. But that's very different in terms of an everyday experience that you have when you get to the ice. So how has it been for you working with the players as presumably the only woman scouting and presumably the only black woman who's around the team? What has that felt like? Oh, it's fun. It reminds me of when I was a little girl and I was the only black girl on a, in a boys team in a locker room. I had to, you know, <laughs> crack jokes and be one of the guys and, 
they opened up to me right away. And I think that it was great because they respected my accomplishments and where I came from. And so that fueled me with a lot of confidence. Um, and, you know, as a woman, we always want to be, we always want to over deliver. Right. And so I was just like, this is what I know. And I was coming in with all the heat and as, as much information as I could possibly have. Um, and it was, it was like being a kid again and playing and, and just a different realm. I think scouting is really fun. Um, it's, it's an opportunity that I think hope, and I hope more women get into um, because you learn so much about the game in that different aspect that you're holding. I know we're going to talk about mentorship, but you're also a teammate with us here. You've added some work with ESPN. I mean, at the end, like, is there anything <laughs> left that you don't want to accomplish? I mean, it feels like you're just taking all the jobs uh, and crushing them all. It's amazing. I know. Well, I haven't crushed the ESPN job yet. I'm trying to figure out how this is all going to work together. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope to be on the screen with you guys uh, one of these days, and it's really exciting to me. I, I think, like I said before, I just do things that are part of my intuition, and when the opportunity presented itself, I was like, let's see if I can actually do this. Let's let's go for it. <laughs> no fear. Uh, it's pretty easy, obviously. We got the job doing yeah. stuff, talking, no. saying things so into a mic. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Blake Bolden, professional hockey player, Future and somehow current, but not quite put to work yet, ESPN reporter um, and uh, scout with the LA Kings. So let's talk about this mentorship program. It's with Play It Against Sports and Winmark, the real uh, the resale company. And it's a bunch of different speakers who are coming out from, you know, hockey players to coaches, mentors, Olympians. Um, and it's a six-month virtual mentoring program. Have you actually gotten started working with, with the kids yet, or is it is it just about to get going? Yeah, no, we started in September, and so we're in our third uh, round this December. So it's once a month, the first Saturday of every month, and I'm bringing in all my friends, all the girls that I've ever played with and against um, as special guests, as you mentioned, and we're talking all things hockey, all things being a young uh, adolescent, um, all things just female empowerment, and it really fuels me up and gives me gives me a lot of hope for the future of our game and just the young kids that I get to interact with. Um, but I'm, I'm really proud of this project and I'm, I'm really happy about it. Is one of those people that you bring in my girl, Kendall Coyne Schofield, who's a co-owner oh, you know, of the Chicago you know Red Stars with me. I bet she is. She's <laughs> yeah. got to, she's got to race everybody. Cause I, you, no one's as yep. fast as she is. No, as fast as her. I've been playing against Kendall since I was 12 years old and she is like lightning i tell you that blake uh, in nashville where i lived for so long it was actually youth hockey that really helped the preds become a a true franchise in the city it took that sort of ingraining of young people that became part of the culture of the sport to make the city wild for the hockey team when you think about youth hockey and, and sort of what it's trying to build for the the people you're mentoring are there specific areas that most of them live in like are they are they kids in the US are they in Canada like where are they coming from yeah so the cool thing about played against sports did was that they just blasted in all of their regions so all of north america canada western canada eastern canada all over the united states i have kids from toronto alaska california virginia minnesota 
Ohio, Michigan. So it's really cool for these girls to be a part of a community and to also interact with girls that they would have never otherwise interacted with if it weren't for this mentorship program. And they're really opening up. It's fun because it's conversational. It's not just a lecture and they want to learn. And that's what gets me up in the morning uh, to be able to give and serve and have just have a good, good time. Blake, so great to talk to you. We look forward to maybe uh, seeing you in person at a hockey game or something ESPN-related. Good luck with the mentorship yes. and everything else. Thank you so much, Blake. Thank you so much. Good stuff from her. Uh, love to see some of those barriers being broken. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, uh, we'll give you an update on our fantasy league. We have not done that in quite some time. Also, an update on the football game currently happening. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. At least I didn't kill Billy Squire last night. I'm the only person who doesn't like listening to him, and yet I'm the only one who knew he was still alive. So suck on that, guys. Hey, don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Awesome panel conversation on my podcast this week. And a word I learned that sounds dirty but is not, titty nope. That's right. Word of the week is titty nope. You'll have to listen to the podcast to learn what it means. Uh, Someone who does listen to the podcast often um, is at Angry Bears fan, Dadman who hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation uh, on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and pointed out that he is taking me on in fantasy football tonight. Uh, His angry bears taking on my Akeem Thicks. Uh, I was so very proud of that name, by the way, um, in in honor of the bears, Akeem Hicks. Um, And I thought, Fitz, it has been a long time since we caught people up on how things are going in the fantasy league. So I think I'll just do a very quick rundown. We have other things to get to. But, you know, just in case people have been curious about the uh, the league, uh, no take Max, which was, of course, named after your Raiders were trying to dig around and see if they could get Mac back, which the answer is clearly no. Um, Stosh, sitting on top of the East at six and four. You are right behind oh. him at five and five, tied Woo! with Angry Bears fan dad man. sliding hard. I've lost yeah, three in a row. Lost three in a row. One of those was to me. Uh, Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler are also tied in that second spot at five and five. Uh, and then Cliff and Cronin. Pulling up the rear, two and eight. In the West, uh, license to Khalil, our other listener, sitting at eight and two. Why'd we invite wow. that guy in? Darn the it. The West is much yeah. better than the East. Much better. Passing, seven and three. James Steele, seven and three. Chris Mitchell, six and four. I am getting rocked at four and six. And then Myron Metcalf sitting at three and seven. Wow. Yeah, the West, a much tougher conference. Um, that's the update well, on And there's that. one thing we do know for sure, Sarah. Everybody can presume that neither of us were in first place because we haven't mentioned it often. If yeah, we yeah, were, yeah. it would be a much bigger story for sure. For yeah, sure. clearly, clearly. Uh, another update that we need is from you. And ASOM, who is uh, a, a regular listener, at ASOM233334 is, I believe, the handle there. Hard to count all those threes. Just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation that he's very worried about that drinking game you mentioned. So I wonder if you have an update. I know you've been hosting the show, but have you kept an eye to figure out how many times people would have taken a shot by now if they had taken one every time 28 to 3 was mentioned? So while we're hosting, what I usually do is turn on the closed caption, and I've been putting a little line uh, on a piece of paper. So far, I am nine times in. Nine times that I've seen it while we're hosting. Nine that doesn't include any other times, times that I haven't seen 28-3 come up on the closed captioning. Nine times. 
Yeah, y'all would be hammered. That's 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 it right there. I wanted to ask you, thinking about this game tonight, as we're watching the Patriots, who are outperforming, I would say, almost anyone's expectations in Mac Jones' first year. He already has more touchdowns than all the other rookie quarterbacks combined. They are up three to nothing on the Falcons. This is a Patriots team that we thought was going to take a little break from the great success ever since Tom Brady left, and it feels like maybe you got one year. One year of them not being a playoff contender. <laughs> so I heard Barton Hahn earlier, and Hahn said, as a loyal Jets fan, he knows his Jets are not going to win anything or do anything, that he wants to see Bucks Patriots in the Super Bowl for the content. And a lot of listeners were deeply disappointed that there's any reason anyone in that division would want the Patriots right back in it. So I ask you, Fitz, have you been in this business long enough now? To be able to say that if your team is for sure not making it, then you want the best content matchup? Or are you still loyal to the people that you hate and not wanting them to ever have success? If the Bucks play the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I'm simply not going to watch it. There's just no, like, I can't even But those aren't even your hated people. I'm asking more like if the best content was for it to be... You know, Broncos, and I mean, it, they couldn't both be from your division, but let's get okay. you know, one of your Bron- division rivals, rivals, and like maybe the Patriots because of the Tuck game that you're still mad about. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if it's an AFC championship game, like right now, you could argue that the best story for the AFC championship might be the Chiefs and the Patriots. No, I don't want that at all. I, I, I don't want that. There is no spot in my life where I want the content more than I want the joy of watching the Chiefs, the Broncos, or the Chargers lose. I would add the Patriots to that list because wow. of the tuck rule and Tom yeah. Brady because he still hasn't admitted it's a fumble. So, yeah, like so you've I'm taken totally out a out. lot of possible contenders for the Super Bowl. First of all, let me just call you out on your BS. You would absolutely watch the Super Bowl regardless of who's in it. No, no. If it's Brady versus the what? oh no, if Give it's me Brady a break. versus the Patriots, I have no interest. In. I don't. You do be- realize what your job is, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll read the recap the next day. Just wow, I mean, you do that. Hey, I mean, you're not allowed to reveal secrets like that. Like if we that, don't have time to watch every single game, we just read a recap and then pretend we did. Here's the great thing. Like everybody will be talking about it all day. So I'll just listen to Greeny break it down and then I'll steal from him. You know, that, that, wow. at, at the end of the day, wow, I don't we care are clipping how much that I'm off. excited about the halftime show either. Like you'd have to call me and tell me exactly when it starts for me to watch the halftime show and then turn that junk off. I don't want to watch Brady I am calling Belichick. major BS on this. There's a, just no like way a, a football a fan of your ilk night. understanding that you would you would you know not be a part of the zeitgeist and not be able to speak to people about what went down. I don't buy it for a second. You're full uh, of it. I, I'll pull up the Raiders uh, Washington football team 1983 Super Bowl and watch that instead, so I can watch my favorite team. You know game. what? I actually wouldn't be surprised. You could also busy yourself with uh, uh, your VHS of old parades. I believe yeah, that's another yeah, thing yeah, you spend yeah. your time doing. Thanksgiving, yeah, you that, that, watch that's, old that's Macy's Day Parade. Because I never get to celebrate Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. I'm always working. It's a great way to do it. And You're such a weird dude. And that's even right. with how weird you are, I still don't buy it for a second that you wouldn't watch the Super Bowl. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.